0: Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at Babbel.com slash BlueWire. That's 60% off at Babbel.com slash BlueWire, spelled dot lcom slash BlueWire. Rules and restrictions apply.
1: How's it going? And welcome to episode 94 of On The Wire, Of course, proud member of the Pitcher List Podcast Network. Follow the pod on the Twitter at OnTheWirePod. If you're listening on a platform that allows ratings and reviews, please take a second to let us know what you think. I am Adam Howe. You can follow me on the Twitter at 80Grade. That's all spelled out. Once again, joined by Kevin Hasting, who should be followed on the Twitter himself at Kevin. And we're doing a quick little midweek episode here, Kevin, after the holiday. And we got some some news that we didn't we didn't hit on the last episode that figure we should get to here even if it is a little outdated that's fine hopefully not a bunch of stuff <laughs> doesn't happen that uh, outdates it even more but we're going to we're going to talk about it anyway how you doing
2: doing great hope everybody had a great holiday weekend and enjoying time with kids out of school if that affects you and getting ever so closer to spring training
1: Yeah, it's a fun little midweek episode as we head into the new year. Of course, we will still have our Sunday episode come out on the first day of the new season or the new year, and that'll be a fun episode to do. But let's just get into this one's our final episode of 2022, at least on the calendar. Of course, we're still looking forward to the 2023 season, but we'll get right into it and talk about those things that we might have missed on the last episode. So if you're listening to these back-to-back because of the holiday, great. Then they should just blend right into each other. The first thing that I want to hit on is probably one of the bigger offensive things that I've been doing throughout the offseason. Wanted to know where he was going to end up being, what kind of role he was going to be in. That's Brandon Drury. He ended up signing with the Angels, and the Angels have quietly had an off had themselves an offseason between signing or trading for Hunter Renfro and Gior Shella signing Tyler Alexander to their rotation but Drury adds into that as what well. expected to play not one position, but probably three or four positions for Los Angeles or for Anaheim. Could he should pile up sneaky, useful bats at bats around Mike Trout and Shohei Otani in that lineup. What kind of role do you see Drury fitting into with the angels and what are the repercussions with this addition having for the rest of their infield?
2: Yeah. So I have mixed feelings with Brandon Drury. I think at first, glance first thought i was in agreement with a pretty popular opinion out there that the good that he did in 2022 was great american small park he went to san diego he wasn't good anymore and that's the way this works with brandon drury but if if you take a closer look going back Prior to the shortened season, he had mid-teens home runs in, in three different seasons, a 13, a 15, and a 16, all in less than 500 plate appearances with Arizona and Toronto. And so I think we forget about that. In two of those years, he had a batting average of 267 and 282. Now we're going back five and six years to get to that point, but it's just that he has been better in the past than what we saw when he did go to san diego in 2022 so i think the the projections right now of just under 500 plate appearances and upper teens home runs makes a lot of sense in this spot where he's going to move around but probably not quite play every day i think one of the biggest repercussions unless there are lingering or new issues with Anthony Rendon's health I think this really affects Gio Urshela who we've talked about quite a bit through this offseason and the fact that he's probably the starting shortstop right now unless the Angels do something else they have done some more and now he's listed on roster resource as a platoon bat, a short side of platoon, talking about Urshela. It's interesting. If Rendon is healthy, he's the third baseman. Drury right now is penciled in as the second baseman. Rangifo at shortstop. I think Urshela is probably a utility guy at the moment. That could flip. It could be the other way around. It's really interesting. But eh. once again, I'm at that point where... When I glance at projections, they make sense to me for Brandon Drury, just under 500 plate appearances, approaching 20 home runs, not doing what he did in Cincinnati, but better than he was in San Diego. And we've talked about this a little bit throughout the offseason already as well. This is a better ballpark than we realize, especially Mm -hmm. for right-handed hitters. So I like the spot for Brandon Drury.
1: Yeah, I was a fan especially after all the talk we had with Hunter Renfro going over there and people worried about moving from Milwaukee to to Anaheim, that's you start to realize, oh, actually that ballpark works out pretty well for this profile. Um yeah, I'm I'm looking at Roster Resources page as well for the Angels. And I understand it's the most logical place is to put Drury in as the starting second baseman, but that's not going to be his role. He's going to be moving around. Anthony Rendon only has so much time every season to play. But, I mean, the way I see it working out is we don't know... <laughs> We don't know what Jared Walsh's situation is actually going to be as he comes back from his own injuries. But Rendon gets hurt. Gio Urshela easily goes into that starting third base role. And then Drury, he still moves around spelling time between first base, second base, third base. Who knows? Maybe he gets that outfield eligibility back that he had last season that he lost because he didn't play enough. He's not going to be an everyday second baseman. But that's not why you're drafting him anyway. The fact that he has the three eligibilities plus the middle infield plus corner infield. That's why you draft him. And he's perfectly serviceable. This is just a landing spot that doesn't hurt his value. He's not going to re-sign back with Cincinnati. He wasn't going to play in Colorado. I I was liking him in Fenway, personally. I thought he would have been a good fit in that. That's the third best offensive ballpark for him to have landed in. That would have been nice. But... He really wasn't going to land in a spot that was going to be better than Cincinnati. So you couldn't really expect that. But this wasn't, this isn't hurt. This doesn't hurt, especially after what we saw him do in San Diego. Yeah, I agree. I like this. I like this spot for him. I've already gotten, I think, two teams with a brand injury on him. I think one gladiator, he might've been in my DC. I don't have it in front of me, but I'm not opposed. It costs for sure.
2: I also think we forget very easily that for the first couple months of the season, this lineup was the highest scoring lineup in baseball and or one of I but I think it was number one without going back and looking until they hit that horrendous losing streak that tanked their entire season. This is a really good lineup.
1: You're also show Otani's in a contract year. Fun <laughs> things are gonna happen in, in Los Angeles one way or another, I think. All right, a couple two other things that happened. We'll go with Oakland adding to their rotation, I'm assuming, as we talked about this guy earlier in the offseason moving over from the KBO, that's Drew Rosinski. He does make his way back to Major League Baseball. He signs with the Oakland Athletics. Besides a lack of wins being in Oakland, could Rosinski actually have chosen a better landing spot to finally get his... He hasn't started for a Major League team yet prior to moving to the KBO. Now it looks like he, he started in the KBO for the last couple seasons that he was playing in there every game. Will he get his his starts in Oakland and is it worth keeping an eye on
2: it's definitely worth keeping an eye on as we mentioned when we did talk about him earlier in the offseason I'm really intrigued by the ground ball rates that he put up for three seasons in the KBO what's really interesting here is at the moment it appears this has possibly knocked Kyle Muller out of the rotation Mm -hmm. at least to start the season. I think that's going to be disappointing for some that have probably already drafted Mueller, at least in draft champions leagues. Yeah. Especially after Uh, that that trade. Yeah. 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 I think at some point we're going to, we'll see him back in the starting rotation, but that was the first thing that caught my eye. But yeah, when it comes to starting pitching, as you mentioned, other than the offense and therefore the possibility of wins, for the team this is a great ballpark to pitch in and especially for a guy I think coming back from playing in a different league and it's not many better places to pitch if any yeah I am definitely intrigued especially for a guy that's barely being drafted (laughs) and he's definitely gonna have his spot in draft champions leagues going forward don't he's not a fab league target For me in the offseason, in draft season, definitely somebody to keep an eye on as a streamer, especially in the home starts. But yeah, when it comes to starting pitchers, as you said, except for the wins, there's not many better places to end up.
1: Yeah, and I haven't looked at it yet, and I was going to try to pull it up real quick. Something to always keep an eye on as well is, especially in these situations with these number four or five starters on not so great teams, is what their opening two-week schedule looks like and who the A's might be facing. And if they're facing the on par with themselves and they're in the A's situation, he might be somebody worth grabbing in the final round, even if 12 team are knowing that he's going to be dropped in the first fab period. Or is it? And it looks like the A's are opening up against... Of course, they've got spring training games against the Giants. That always happens. But they face off against the Angels first. And then they get the Guardians and then the Rays. So maybe not. Maybe these aren't teams that you want to take that chance on. Somebody uh, he'll probably get, if he is the number five in that rotation to start the season, he'll probably get the Guardians to start. And then probably get the Orioles right after that as, they, as he jumps over the Rays. So... There aren't going to be many situations where the A's are facing off against a team that is that they are going to be favored against. (laughs) Sure. But if you have some easy matchups earlier on, it doesn't look like the A's really have a good April in general as they have the Mets and then the Cubs. We'll see how they turn out. And then the Rangers. So
2: It gets better. So in in leagues where he is drafted, which I don't think will be many, he, he could very well be let go. And in the leagues where he's not drafted, he's not going to become appealing, we don't think, based on a couple of those early matchups. But then the end of the month, Cincinnati away from Great America Small Park, the following weekend at Kansas City, which is a nice ballpark. So things do look up and he will most definitely be out there on the wire.
1: Yeah, and they do have a lot, like you mentioned, away from Cincinnati, they have a lot of home games in the beginning of the season, so he will have at least that going for him, pitching in whatever they name it this year, Coliseum, because it does change every season. At Ricky Henderson Field, it's whatever Coliseum at Ricky Henderson Field, maybe it's Ricky Henderson Field at whatever Coliseum, either way, they've had a lot of names for that stadium (laughs) that I have admittedly seen plenty of baseball games at while in my nine years living in Oakland prior to moving. And it, it, at the beginning of my tenure there, they still had the troughs in the men's bathroom that apparently also leaked throughout the visiting clubhouse at one point in the last couple of years. So that's just one insight into that stadium and why <laughs> they've been working probably not as hard as they need to be at getting a new stadium, either in Oakland or literally four other locations in the last 10 years that we've been they've been rumored to moving to. That's a different rant for a different podcast. Let's move on to the aforementioned Cincinnati. They make an additional addition to their outfield or at least their lineup, looking for a new reclamation project in Will Myers. He signed a one year deal with the Reds, going thanking the Padres fans recently in a, in a post. But they also grabbed earlier in the offseason, they brought in Nick Solak. So Which of these reclamation projects are you either more interested in or intrigued about joining the Reds lineup in that ballpark?
2: Will Myers, this looks like it could very well be Brandon Drury Mm 2.0, doesn't it? And just based on the ballpark alone and the fact that he would probably slide into the middle of the lineup. This is very intriguing for someone that was not on my radar at all until this signing i have no idea what this is going to do to his draft cost i do it's going to go up it It doesn't have much
1: yeah it doesn't have much more to go but like it's only one direction it could go
2: (laughs) right but the question is how far projections have him at just over 500 plate appearances and 20 home runs and i would say that's probably a good low expectation if he's Indeed, going to be in this lineup on a near daily basis. That that's based on 126 games, which is pretty nice. And 20, going back to 2021, he played 146 games. 2019, prior to the shortened season, 155 games. But he does move in and out of the lineup in game. At least he did in San Diego, as matchups are played on the offensive and defensive side. He still only had 500 plate appearances in playing nearly every game so he's not going to be a 600 plate appearance guy we'd be hoping for this 500 or a little over but if so these home run numbers are probably on the low side of the projections of right at 20 i like this he's not going to ever steal 28 bases again But a handful can be expected. And with the new rules, if that happens to go up, that could be a nice, really nice bonus. So I like these projections with this spot in this lineup, especially in the home games for Cincinnati. And I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility. I'm not going to count on it. But it wouldn't surprise me at all if you got more than you're expecting here. I got 25-10 season out of Will Myers, which is what we got from Seth Brown last season, which was
1: amazing. Yeah, to your initial point, this definitely feels like Brandon Drury 2.0, at least Ah. the two twenty twenty three version of it in Cincinnati. Obviously, Myers has had more success in the past than Drury might have, at least in any full season. But this is a one-year deal. There's a mutual option, but he's playing well enough. I mean, that mutual option, he's not going to do it. He's going to want to try to cash in on that. And the Reds are going to want to cash in on him as well. So the same thing will probably happen. He'll end up being traded at the deadline. And so that's something to keep in mind, in especially in trade, in trading leagues, something that you might want to keep an eye out for. If he is crushing the ball in, in, in June and July, you might want to try to cash in as much as possible, just like you expect the Reds to do by the deadline.
2: And one other thing that could, we're all hoping, I think, I don't know anybody or I haven't met anybody that I know of that is not a fan of Joey Votto, but if this doesn't go well at 39 years old, coming back from injury, Will Myers could get playing time at first base as well.
1: Yeah, he already has the first base and outfield eligibility in NFBC. So hopefully for his sake and for 2024 drafting sake, he holds on to that eligibility in those scenarios as well. The Reds, they also signed backup catcher Kirk Casale. And in order to make room for that, they actually so they DFA'd Mike Moustakis, who we just talked about recently. Is Mike Moustakis going to get he's going to get picked up by somebody, right?
2: I would expect so. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see where he lands. I don't think think i can see a spot where i would have much interest he's just been too too injury riddled over the past several seasons but it is worth monitoring but yeah somebody's gonna give him a shot
1: you want back in kansas city (laughs)
2: <laughs> I highly doubt it. Crowded we're crowded on the infield already. Uh, otherwise, that would be a possibility because he came back once before after leaving. So it would definitely be a possibility even with new front office leadership there. I could see that happening if there, there's already a crowded infield in Kansas City. I want to see Nate Eaton, especially with those stolen base numbers. Mm-hmm. But even in draft champions, I haven't pulled the trigger because right now I don't see a spot for him. It's already crowded there. Otherwise, that would be it'll be somewhere similar to that, though, I would guess.
1: Yeah, there's a lot of players that end up getting DFA'd and you're like, oh, I can see somebody because they're paying the minimum. They Let's take a shot at them and then we can trade them at the deadline, something like that if he plays. But I can't see Mike Moustakis going to a place that he will either stay healthy long enough to get every day to get enough playing time to make his value tradable for a major league team or I see it more likely that a, a decent team grabs him at the league minimum off of, off of waivers it, and he becomes a bench spot. He's not playing every day. Maybe he has a better chance of staying healthy long enough to actually be useful in that role. And has a little bit of flex positional flexibility to become a part-time Brandon Drury type that has to be part-time in order for him to stay healthy enough to be productive.
2: It, but because of the contract, this probably doesn't happen, but we hear about how for years now the Yankees need a left handed bat and <laughs> Yankee fans would love Josh Donaldson to be kicked to the curb. Oh, sure. Right? It's not likely, but it's a scenario that there's a possibility there.
1: Oh, yeah. Let's not talk to Chris Torres about about <laughs> Josh Donaldson being there starting ever, starting third baseman on opening day. All right, that's uh, I think we caught up with all the stuff that we might have missed last week. Hopefully, uh, nothing else has happened between now and we put out this recording. More the way this all is going, more than likely there's something out there that we didn't hit on because. A lot has been happening. We're going to get into a little bit more strategy this episode. We're going talk about how do we build a bench, especially in a fab league. And we're, talk- we're going to specifically talk about an NFBC bench. And how do we fill that up with those seven spots? No I.L. And we'll be using our listener leagues, at least our first two listener leagues, as examples of some some players, interesting players that might have went in the last couple of rounds of those drafts, what we hope to get out of them and then what kind of moves we expect to make in the first week or two of fab season. We'll get to that in just a little bit. First, we're going to take this quick break. All right, we're back. Of course, you're listening to On the Wire. I am Adam Howe, joined as always by Kevin Hastings, and we are going to be talking a little bit about how we build a bench. We're I think we're we'll focused specifically on twelve teamers for here. We want to talk a little bit about fifteen teamers and the difference between that, Kevin. By all means, we should do that. But I think the majority of what we talk about here is going to reflect what we saw in our first two listener leagues, which are finished up in mid November in mid December drafts. We of course we still have our January fifth draft coming up. We have two drafts happening at that time. You'll be in one, and I'll be in the other one. We do have, I think, three or four openings in that in the league that Kevin is going to be drafting, and so. If you are interested in joining a Fab League 12 teamer with us and a bunch of other really great drafters, shoot us a DM, let us know. And by the time this episode goes in, if there's still openings, we'll get you in. We still have openings in our March leagues as well. So looking for some great listeners to join us in those. Please keep, let's fill that up and let's have a good time. It's a great $50 buy-in. It's a, it's set up the same way as an online championship, except there's no overall prize for in money. So the prizes that are going out for a top three in each league are much higher percentage-wise than what we in a normal in, the, in this format, which is always nice, Kevin, right? No, it's, yeah. <laughs> as it's long terrible. as you win, obviously. <laughs> All right. But we have to build a bench even if we are filling, even if we're drafting this early and we might be making a lot of fab moves in the first week or two a fab period. But talk to me about your kind of mentality about filling a bench of this nature again. In this in the NFBC, there are no IL spots. There are no NA spots. There are it's if they're rostered, simple as that. You have your twenty-three man starting lineup slash rotation, nine pitchers. Of course, the rest are all in your lineup. How are you building your bench? Do you have a plan or at this stage of drafting a team, is it just best man available?
2: This is this is changed for me. And it's changed pretty often over the years i a few years back it was my bench spots were pitchers i've gotten away from that the last couple of seasons especially in nfbc formats where we can change our hitting lineup for the weekend and i wanted guys uh, available to do that if things went wrong or i had better matchups for the weekend or the things went wrong earlier in the week and i lost players so i had gotten away from that a little bit this season especially in the early drafts when there's a lot can change between now and the end of march when we start our regular season i almost every everybody is in some way in my mind it is an upside play that is quite frankly, probably won't be on my team in May. But if they are, then it's going to be a great value, and I'm going to be happy to have them. I think especially in the 12-team leagues, I'm moving more towards not necessarily moving pitchers up early in the draft, but getting more in the mid-rounds, making sure my pitching staff Of course, injuries can throw a big wrench in anything, but having more of a stable pitching staff where I'm not moving guys in and out of my lineup and I want upside hitters that can come and go. I won't have any problem dropping them if it doesn't work out, if it does. Amazing. And quite frankly... Even before we get to the bench rounds, I'm even looking at doing that when I'm still filling out what if we had to put a lineup in today would be my starters. So it's changed over the years, but that that's a general idea of where I'm at
1: now. Yeah, especially in these first two early these, I my bench spots are I'm taking way more risk than I would be if I was drafting in March, especially in a twelve teamer. I found myself last year, you know, obviously I not obviously, but I will tell you that I did much. I had much more success in my 12 teamers on the NFBC platform than I did in my 15 teamers. And I also spent way less in fact I was a lot less not less active, but I just wasn't spending. I wasn't churning as much. I was going with the rosters that I had and I wasn't making as many moves, or at least the moves I was making weren't wasn't costing me a lot to do. So I am I've taken a lot more rookies, a lot guy I've got Anthony Volpe on one roster, like guys that have Little to no chance, really, of being on the opening day spot, but I'm willing to take that risk in November, in December, with all the things that could possibly change throughout the remainder of the offseason, through spring training, into April. Now, and then also because you have the other monkey wrench in, in the NFBC, where if you have rookies that were drafted in your draft and then dropped, then you can pick them back up in FAB before they make their debut. So there's that other elephant in the room to think about in the format. And it goes back to something we harp on all the time. It's know your format, know the rules of your leagues. Before going in, don't go in to be like, oh, is this a 12-team or a 15-team? Or is this, or you good questions like, oh, how many outfielders do we have? If you don't know that going in, you should not have signed up for your, you should not have started your draft. Simple as that. I typically will I would try to be as structured as possible in my later drafts though as far as like how especially my 15 teamers like how many pitchers I'm gonna have on my bench how many hitters I'm gonna have my bench what kind of backups am I gonna have based on what I drafted it did I draft guys that I think are gonna get hurt more readily but there's still the upside of them being healthy and producing what kind of backups am I gonna need I did not worry about that in these early drafts from as I'm looking back on my rosters currently and I'm pulling up my, my December draft now, how much, yeah, how much, what's the difference that you're going to see in your, that you think you're going to see in your March drafts compared to what you saw your strategy in these early drafts?
2: One thing is, as opposed to just being high upside guys that may not be on my team for very long. And if they are, it's because things are going very well for them. I'm going to be looking at that schedule much more closely. There's going to be guys I'm taking for maybe not. Okay, I'm not going to use them in the first week or two, but weeks three and four, these matchups are great. Whether that's a pitcher, whether it's a a stolen base guy. I think I'm looking at streaming hitters as much or more so than pitchers much earlier in the season i think is something i'm going to try to maximize the production i can get per category from players and so once once we get it into march and these offensive lineups are pretty much set i'm going to be looking at the schedule i'm going to be drafting guys that i'm planning on using in weeks three four five and after that we'll see how things go but I I know I'm not going to want them in my lineup in the first week or two. So they're a bench guy to start out.
1: I talked about earlier, like the guys that I might have drafted some injured guys in my starting starting lineup that hopefully are going to hit. But once the season starts, man, like there's only there's only so much flexibility you can give yourself in the bench. Your bench starts changing. Right. My bench is going to change is going to be very different in early uh, in late April, as it was to start the season, just because you're going to start to see what you need, what you don't need, how much flexibility you're going to have. Have you learned any lessons over the years that you're willing to carry over into this season, especially when it comes to stashing and holding on to guys? Specifically, we're talking injured guys and what kind of flexibility you're willing to give yourself, how long you're willing to hold on to an injured player that's going to. that you have a lot more questions about than you might that you might like to have.
2: Yeah. I have a perfect example in both of these drafts that you alluded to the on the wire listener leagues. I drafted Royce Lewis ready it. I'm less optimistic that we're going to see him soon enough in the season for him to continue to take up a spot on my roster at the time. Definitely worth a shot taking him at the end of a draft. In my opinion, but guys like this, if it unless I think things change again, right, there hasn't been any concrete news with him. Just some of the rumbling sounds like it might be a little longer into 2023 than I had hoped that the Twins might get him back. So he's probably going to be dropped very early with the hope that maybe that makes him eligible to be picked up in an FBC. He was drafted, so I'll have to keep a closer eye on that and hope someone's not scooping him up as a stash and hope he's still available if things start to sound like he, he's making his way back but that that's a perfect example because things change so quickly that already the season's still a little over three months away and i have a player on both of my 12 team fab league rosters that probably isn't going to be on my roster on opening day
1: luckily you're these are not leagues where we have anybody who listens to this podcast in the <laughs> leagues with you so right. you should be fine <laughs> nobody will be adding Royce Lewis to their watch list now by the way you can do that now you can add players to your watch list now but don't do that don't do that yeah the injury bug is something I think Just about everybody struggles with on a regular basis, no matter what kind of format you're in, especially in the NFBC where you have no IL spots. You have guys that you just don't know, and you have to be more willing, in my opinion, you have to be more willing to cut bait, especially with the ones that you don't know. Now, the ones where you do know, you can at least make, like, you. technically you don't know Bryce Harper. Right. But you have a general idea based on this instances of coming back from Tommy John for hitters and from the announcements that the team has made. And you can take that with as big of a grain of salt as you would like. But you have a general sense of when he'll be back and when he'll actually be able to produce for you so you can make decisions based on that and what you do know. It's the guys that get injured in season, you just, you don't know what the injury is. Granted, it's not hockey. At least you know what the injury is when it happens. They don't just say something below the waist. They at least tell you at least what body part it is. But you still have a lot of question marks about how severe is it? Are they going to need surgery? Are they just going to rehab it? Et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And you have to, I think the more question marks you have, the more the more viability there is to actually just cutting bait w- letting them wait out at least a week on the waiver wire and then spending the money to bring them back if you get more if you get more uh, clarity by the end of the week and if there is less clarity maybe you still bring them back and you he keeps going back and forth be willing to drop them pick them back up drop them pick them back up especially in a 12 teamer like i said i spent a lot less money in fab I'll be a lot more willing to be dropping these types of players in those in that format, knowing that I could probably spend a little bit extra money if I really want to bring them back that I'm going to be able to spread out that those funds a little bit easier throughout the course of the season. Yeah. And with somebody like
2: Harper, obviously the caliber of player is a huge factor in how long we can hold on to somebody like this and I think especially going into the season already knowing what the injury is as you said and having at least maybe we don't have a great time frame but everybody's got an opinion of when we think we'll see him back and what he's doing. If I'm drafting someone like Bryce Harper going into 2023. I, unless there's a setback, I am going into the season. I only have six bench spots. When Harper cracks the lineup, oh great, this is a bonus. I have seven bench spots now. But I am going into the season planning every move I make around the fact that I only have six bench spots. He's a high enough caliber player. That's the case I'm going to make for him. I think the adjustment I've made over the years and not enough yet, and I'm trying to improve and make this better, that threshold for that type of player is higher and higher there is not very many players that i would make that concession for i have done it for too many players in the past (laughs) and trying to do it less sure and pretty much it's got to be a first round talent i think where i'm at with that right now
1: yeah especially when the talent level in the player pool in the free agent player pool is going to be of such that it's not you're not gonna take that much of a hit so we're talking to 12 teamers and what have you but even in a 15 teamer like yeah, that I get it. That threshold. So the
2: hard one for me is good, not elite starting pitchers,
1: especially in Carlos the
2: Carrasco. League. A couple years ago, we kept being told he was coming back. I held him all season long. Right? He's coming. <laughs> he's starting a rehab assignment next week. Oh no, we're gonna push that back a week. Oh, now it's, he felt something, so we're not gonna do that for two weeks. And I just kept holding him. He took up a spot all season long. And I never really got to use that roster spot. And I think with good, not elite, starting pitching is as high in demand as that starting pitching is. That's the really hard ones. And I think the mentality that I'm trying to develop is, yeah, if he does end up coming back the week after I dropped him and somebody else picks him up, that doesn't mean my team can't still perform. As well or better than if he was on my roster. This Find also when, somebody better, right? This
1: is also when Carrasco was with the Mets, right? Yeah. So yeah. that goes back to what we talked about with Derek Rhodes, I think, two seasons ago. There are certain teams that you can trust and certain teams you can't. You can trust the Mets to screw up somebody's injury. <laughs> <laughs> Simple as that. It makes me worried about Carlos Correa just a little bit. It, now- and <laughs>
2: here's the other side of this. So I have drafted Jacob deGrom in a couple of leagues. And the way I am looking at it as I continue the rest of the way through my draft, the first thing I do when I draft him is I put him on the bench. He's (laughs) not in my rotation, right? I'm trying to draft a team without my second or third round draft pick, whichever one I used to grab him. And I'm trying to make a team. I think I can compete with, even if I completely lose him for the entire season and he doesn't pitch an inning. And then if he, if things work out the way I'm hoping my team is that much better, but I'm trying to think of the rest of the draft as not who am I going to use if Jacob DeGrom goes down. What is my team? I don't without Jacob DeGrom. Yeah. If
1: you lost your second round pick. Yeah, basically. Exactly. <laughs> I do the same thing later in the draft. With, this year, it's with Jordan Lawler. I drafted him a couple places. As soon as I draft him, even though I've drafted him within the first 23 picks, he goes right to the bench, right to the bench. expecting that he's not going to be a starter. I did that with Bobby Witt last year when I drafted him in a bunch of places, even though if I'm drafting him in the sixth, seventh, eighth rounds, he's still going right to the bench. And obviously that worked out okay. He started it on the opening day roster, but I do that with Prospects when I draft them early. So I get the strategy and I think it's smart. You should not be drafting guys like that, whether it's DeGrom with injury history or concerns, whether it's high-end prospects you hope will make a difference. You don't draft them in your starting lineup. You draft them on your bench and they're an amazing pickup in week one if it works out that way, but you can't build your roster around that aspect. I think it's a good call out there, especially for a guy like DeGrom. All right. I think that's good banter as far as like how you're building your bench. I think we talk about it a lot in season. Kevin, you harp on this, especially when it comes to stashing, your relievers or your spec relievers, not to have too many. I think the thing I want to just echo is in season, holding onto that bench, have some structure. Like don't feel like you have to pick up a guy in season just because he's available. If it doesn't fit with your roster, if it doesn't fit with your... Openings in your bench be be true to yourself, if you will, and you don't feel like you have to have you only have seven spots. So you right. can't have three spec spots because anything can happen midseason, especially with your lineup when you can change your lineup around on Fridays. I do think especially in 12 teamers, I will be holding on to more hitters than pitchers in my in my structure just because I know streaming pitching was difficult but I'd be much more apt to do that in a 12-teamer in these listener leagues I'll be having a deeper hitting bench than I will be a pitching bench I I think top of my head I will be holding on to probably I'll always going to have that one closer spec spot on my bench and I might have one or two starters in there and they are probably going to be or pitchers even. They might not even be starters. They might just be pitchers in general that I think in a pinch, I'd be comfortable throwing them into my rotation. Maybe they're middle reliever guys that I can trust. Maybe they are spec pitcher plays that could have good matchups coming up. But mostly I think of those seven, at least four of them are going to be, are going to be hitters at various positions so that I can play better matchups and get, as many at-bats as possible throughout the course of the season.
2: Yeah, one other thing that's interesting, and it's we're forced into this one in FBC formats anyway. If you're drafting one of the catchers that we fully expect to be catcher eligible within the first couple of weeks of the season, you still have to be able to have a legal lineup. And so you're drafting another catcher late, very late, hopefully with your last round pick that is only going to be on your team for a cus- couple of weeks. Francisco Alvarez, for example, I have drafted. I can't use him in a catcher spot for at least a couple of weeks. So, I'm forced to draft another catcher that won't be on my roster once Alvarez gets eligibility.
1: Yeah, I think that's a good call out to just knowing what kind of eligibility you're going to have of these players throughout the course of the first month of the season even, never mind the, the rest of the season. All right. Let's talk about some of these specific players that were picked in the last couple of rounds. And then I want to just really quickly look at the what the free agent pool looks like in these listener leagues and how that might affect not only the first couple weeks of fab but like looking at the future of your of the future listener leagues that we're going to be drafting and throughout throughout the rest of the offseason january february march got a couple of drafts going on in there again if you're interested please dm us let us know and we'll get you in we still have some openings both in january and in the some of the march drafts we're going to take a quick break though before we get into those player discussions are back once again. Let's talk about some of these late round picks and what we're hoping to see out of them. These aren't players that just you and I picked. I just went through the final two rounds and picked some interesting would you rather's, if you will. Some of them we did pick, so obviously I'm going to know what uh, which one you're going to choose if you do a straight would you rather. But I'm interested to get your take as far as what we should be expecting or why would we would pick these types of guys in these rounds. So, let's start off with our November draft. I got three pairings. The First one's actually a trio of pitchers that may or may not be productive for us in the first couple of weeks of the season. We got Kyle Bradish of the Orioles, Cody Morris of Cleveland, and then Josiah Gray, which I know is mine because I've picked him in both leagues of the Nationals. Tell me about what your opinion is on picking a, picking a pitcher like this and they're all in the same mold they all have this they have a similar Cody Morse a little bit less experience but these are young guys on teams that May or may not be going somewhere, so they they probably have an opportunity. with Morris being again with the least amount of experience maybe has the least guaranteed spot, but British and Gray are definitely in their team's rotations. What would like? Why would be? What would be the motivation of picking one of these types of guys in the final rounds?
2: Yeah, it's almost like a lottery ticket here, right? We don't expect guys we're picking in this spot to necessarily be on our team for very long. These are guys that if it's not working out, we're going to let them go right away. In the first, these two leagues that was drafted, I took Cody Morris right before you took Josiah Gray. I probably wouldn't have taken either one of them in that spot if I hadn't drafted Francisco Alvarez. As I just mentioned, I saved my last spot for a catcher or I would have waited one more round and taken a guy similar to these, either one of them, if they were available or found someone else similar. It's interesting. Kyle Bradish was taken in the same round. All three of these guys were taken in the 29th round and we're all thinking the same thing. I'm certain if things are looking good in spring training, they're in the rotation, then they're then we're going to give them a look for a couple of starts at least and see. And it, just because they stay in our roster To begin the season doesn't mean they're going to maintain it all year long, but we're hopeful. And if it doesn't work out, it's our 29th round pick, and we're not too worried about it. We'll get somebody else.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think it's interesting because there's a lot of these types of pitchers on the market. I'm looking at the free agent pool for this league. You have guys like Andrew Painter, and we'll get to other guys, like even like... Guys with no experience and a little bit later as well, but you have Andrew Painter of Philadelphia. You have old crusty vets that kind of found new life, like Ross Stripling signing with San Francisco. I see this leak finished up before that signing happened. Zach Eflin's still in the free agent pool as well. I'm pretty sure this leak finished up before he signed with Tampa Bay. So you have these lottery tick in, in a different mold still available in these early and this is again this is a very early fab league. You don't see these fab leagues being drafted in November or even December. Yeah, I know we talked about the online championship just finished up their first one, but that was literally the first one. You have the main event qualifiers that are in the online championship qualifiers that you have a couple of those sporadically, but they're far and few between. Cuz so many things can change in 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 that range. You have Luis Ortiz on uh, available on a free agent free agency as well. Guys that he fits closer to the Cody Morris's of the world. Maybe not, obviously not on as good of a team, but you do have these options on the market in your first fab period as well.
2: And this is why these picks are viable, right? Because there's replacements out there. We drafted before Sean Mania signed in San Francisco, or he probably would have been drafted. He's available. Same with Noah Sindergaard going to the Dodgers. I think enough people are confident that if anybody can help him out and we know he's working on getting his velocity back in the offseason, we've seen those videos, probably would have been drafted if we had already seen that. Guys like Braxton Garrett are available. Alex Wood, if he's healthy. I mean, Steven Matz, all kinds of guys available. If this doesn't work out for any of these three guys, we're going to be able to replace him.
1: Yeah. Defend my Josiah Gray pick. I'm curious. I'm, I am curious to see if somebody like Josiah Gray, who I have attachment to, like, I love Josiah Gray. I want to see him succeed. I obviously wish he was on a better team for wins, but there's very few strikeout upside plays that you see this late in a draft with obviously volatility with the home runs and obviously with that ballooned ERA and what have you, and not chasing wins that well with the Nationals. But I do find myself wanting to skip him to see, just to see if uh, if there's other, if there's more interest. Obviously, we have ADP, we can see that as well. But I drafted him in a bunch of places last year. I've continued to draft him this year as well. And do you find yourself wanting to, especially in a shallower league like this, skipping out on the guys you really like, hoping that you can pick them up in the free agent pool, or and maybe that way you can still take a shot on a different lottery pick with elsewhere, or would you rather just grab the guy that you already have interest in and not take that chance?
2: I'd rather just grab my guy, especially as we progress and get closer and closer to the season starting. There's going to be more drafters jumping in drafts. So the ADP that we see, a lot of people haven't even been drafted yet. So we don't know who they like. So I'm going to grab my guy when I think I have the chance rather than wait. And yeah, it's really because the closer we get to the season starting, the more and more people go away from ADP. And a lot of that is due to the fact that the ADP would be a lot different if people that don't start drafting until February and March. We're drafting now.
1: sure (laughs) that's fair enough.
2: I think that's a lot of it. We talk about pitchers Mm -hmm. getting pushed up and especially in the NFBC main event, and that is a thing. But when we're talking about ADP movement in general, it might not actually be moving. It was just wrong (laughs) because people weren't (laughs) drafting.
1: Yeah, it definitely matters on the mentality of the person drafting itself and not so much the quote market. The market at this stage of the season is literally probably like fifteen people <laughs> drafting in all the drafts.
2: <laughs> Those gladiators that have a, a ton of overlap. there's some certain guys, if you want to get a hold of, you can find a Zoom meeting each weeknight at 8:30 oh, sure. p.m. Eastern time.
1: All right, let's th- this pairing a couple hitters that don't have a major league spot right now for different, very different reasons. We had Elvis Andrews go in the final two rounds of this November draft. Also. Ellie De La Cruz of the Reds does not have a spot on the Major League roster. These are lottery tickets in different, completely different for different reasons. And I will tell you that the more I look into it, the more interest. I did not draft him here, but I am more interested in Elvis Andrews than I was, say, three weeks ago as I more and more look into him, even though he does not have a team yet. Him and Gene Zagura, I'm more interested in assuming that they are going to find a starting role on a new team based on what they've done in the past but in which direction do you would you rather go? And I didn't check. You might have picked one of these guys. I'm not sure. Which direction would you normally want to go at this stage of a draft going with the prospect who does not have a role yet, but the potential is through the roof if he actually finds a role in Cincinnati with De la Cruz or Elvis Andrews, who found new life at the end of the season with the White Sox?
2: I think I could take either one of these guys in this spot for different reasons and with a different hope with elvis andrews is pretty obvious either because we saw two different scenarios last season and he performed better in one of them but he could do the same thing in either spot right you were drafting him in draft and hold leagues last year because he had a gig and was going to play At least until they traded him. And when he did move, he went to a spot where he continued to play and that's going to happen again. He's going to play for somebody somewhere, possibly end up being a utility guy, but would be in a spot, I think, where he's going to play most days And so with the potential for the double digit stolen bases, he goes through these streaks where we see power, where other times we wonder how he ever hit a single home run when he goes (laughs) on his dry spells, but he goes through these streaks. He's going to be a nice all round player somewhere and if that's what you need because you have question marks on your roster earlier in the draft whether it be stolen bases whether it be shortstop whether it be oh maybe i can get double digit home runs out of him when he finds a spot he can be a nice pick here ellie day ellie de la cruz is as you mentioned this it's a prospect stash even if we think he might have a role really soon we still don't know what the performance will be. It's a completely different pick, but for the same reasons, especially in 12 team leagues, you can make that pick and adjust to it as the season starts when when his role becomes more clear.
1: Yeah, if I had to pick one or the other in this scenario, for exactly what you said, for the reasons you said with Delacruz not having a role and for a team that's you don't know what they're going to do with him granted the ballpark is great and his what he's done in the minors has been amazing probably go toward andrews as far as a risky play because you don't know where he's going to be playing or what kind of role he'll be playing in just because of what we saw him do at the with chicago i alluded to earlier like he not only was he better at the plate but oakland was one of the more aggressive teams on the base pass that we saw last year and he was more aggressive with the White Sox. Than he was with Oakland as far as he has. um, He had the same amount of attempts on the pass with 11 and he was 11 for 11 with the White Sox, 7 for 11 with Oakland in about almost half as many opportunities with the White Sox. And so he's still he's getting up there in age. He's not a spring chicken like as he once was as he was coming up, but he still has the ability to do that. And I think that is going to translate more so than I think people are giving him credit for next year with obviously with all the changes with the bases and the pitch clock and all that thing obviously unless he goes to a team that just will not run that's a different if he founds a way into like toronto or something like a team that just doesn't run at all that's something different but i think that that's going to end up translating for him moving forward in 2023
2: yeah the more i look at this that that's a great pick the very last round of a fab draft to find out where he lands that that's a great pick.
1: Yeah, that's right? what you're doing. You're just you're paying yeah. to find out. You're fi- you're paying to find out where he ends up. And you already know what you're getting with De La Cruz. You're not paying to find out if he's going to be on the opening day roster. I'm very confident he's not going to be on the opening day roster. I granted they did that with India. Like it was a little bit of a surprise that Jonathan India made the opening day roster when he did, but I think that was more of a situational thing than anything else. There's a lot of shortstop prospects that that are fighting for. Position eligibility with the Reds that I don't think any of them make their way up, at least not on opening day. And the other one, these are outfield, this more of an outfield spec play here. Jerkson Profar, who still at the time of this recording does not have a home versus Manny Margot, who you know has his ups and downs as far as what you might expect out of these guys, but. In a way, they're very similar players, obviously going at the same point at this in this kind of a draft. Is there more upside in one or the other, or what's your take on these two guys?
2: No, I think they're very similar. And it's similar, a little younger, but similar to Elvis Andrews. And We talked about Manny Margot earlier in the offseason about if he could hopefully end up in a spot where he's going to get more regular playing time He could be a huge value and yeah, he went in the last round of both of these drafts. In fact, I took him in the second Mm -hmm. one and so yeah, very similar. I don't know that I do prefer one over the other necessarily until we know for sure where they're going to be and where they're going to be in the respective lineups. But yeah, these are the kinds of guys that and if they're not drafted, they're going On my watch list right now. As you said, you can start your watch list now. They're on there in leagues where they're available because it makes things a lot easier later when we start forgetting about, oh, I want to keep an eye on this guy. Yeah, that definitely on there now if they're not being drafted. And that's quite possible with them going in the final round of these drafts.
1: Yeah, I think I take... More risk on drafting a profile in this situation, not knowing where he's going to be. Exactly what we just talked about with Andrews and even with a prospect or whatever. I'd rather pay to find out where he's going to be, what role he's going to have. I feel like we already know what role Margot is going to have with Tampa. He's two-year deal in, unless they trade him. I think he, that's
2: still the hope, though. I think we're yeah. still hoping. <laughs> when I'm looking at Margot, I'm still hoping he gets moved.
1: Okay, so you're paying to see if he gets moved. Sure, I get that. I mean, there's some. I wouldn't say interesting. Maybe I can say interesting. There's some name. There's some outfield eligible guys on the in the free mark in the free agency here that. Will Myers now becomes interesting, obviously not an option at that time of of finishing this draft. Brandon Marsh is at the top of the list here in Philadelphia, whether or not how much playing time he's going to see on an everyday role in Philadelphia, you got to assume as the only person who might be able to actually field the ball in the outfield. In Philadelphia, he'll be playing (laughs) most of the time in center field there. Esri Ruiz, you didn't know he was going to get traded to an everyday playing time opportunity in oakland at the time of this draft so there are a couple options there are there's always going to be a couple options when you draft in november come april as things fluctuate but it's you consider that it's something you won't be able to hold on to until next year but like you consider that in april on your first ad bid seeing what kind of percentages of players are available in comparison to when you drafted in november for next year, when you draft a Fab League in next November, maybe, oh, you know what? There were a ton of pitchers <laughs> available on the free agent market on my first Fab League. Maybe that's an area that I don't need to focus on to take those risks in the la- later part of the rounds when I draft a Fab League in November as opposed to something else.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Been in a couple drafts where we were you zooming and such. And even during a draft, you'll see comments like that. Oh, I got my two catchers, but I like the guys that are still available. Nick's draft. I'm not taking my second catcher. So early things like that. Even in
1: draft, you start realizing some of these things. That's, and that's why people draft early, right? Like you draft early just to see what those trends are going to be. Steve, like where wherever you
2: get really uncomfortable early you want to make a change and adjust that next time you draft 100
1: and that's why i'd be i'm more comfortable drafting a fab league in november for that reason even if i'm uncomfortable during the draft at least i know i can make a change the first week of april i can spend a bunch of fab if i really want to and make changes to my roster even though my draft didn't go all over that well and there's going to be a lot of opportunity to do so because lots of things change throughout the offseason a lot of people say like, i'm not going to spend i'm not going to draft a fab league that early why not you actually have more flexibility by the season starts than you would you're stuck with your draft and hold league there's nothing you can do there so something to think about all right just two more here that came out of our december draft that are worth mentioning we have a trio of pitchers again that came out of the final two pit final two rounds also worth mentioning that there were a lot of pitchers taken in the final two rounds of both of these drafts. Uh, we saw 13 out of 24 picks go pitcher or turn yellow in the November and then 12 half of those picks in the December draft were pitchers as well. So a lot more darts being thrown at those pitchers in the later rounds to fill out those bench. Just looks something to look at as far as trends go in your drafts, especially in your 12 teamers. But in this one, Brian Abreu. Matt Brash and Tanner Houck, all guys that are expected to be in the... I do not expect Tanner Houck to be in the rotation, at least to start of the season. I know they're talking about stretching him out and having him be ready to be in the rotation. Maybe I'll be proven wrong, but I think he's going to end up being either a long man or a seventh inning guy for the Red Sox. Matt Brash, obviously, same thing. He's in the he's in the bullpen for Seattle until, prove up, until he proves otherwise. And then Brian Abreu. As well in the in in his team's bullpen, what a, like we talk about it all the time, like the value of these middle reliever guys who can actually bring some some solid value to your ratios, to maybe some upside play as far as a couple strikeouts when you're streaming when you don't like the matchups you're going to get. It's probably, in my opinion, not as viable in a twelve teamer because there are other options on the wire. But like in a draft this early. What's the upside play here for these types of guys?
2: I think the upside is the guys we think are going to end up in a starting rotation and are extremely talented and can strike a lot of batters out. There you go. I think that's the way to go because, like you said, we talk about it all the time, the relievers with good ratios, there's always someone available. Always. If you need someone like that for a week, you can always find them and you can do your 30 guys for a dollar a piece and get the one you want, right? It may not be Evan Phillips, but there's somebody doing something somewhat close to that with a nice schedule for the week every week, even in 15 team leagues. So I think the play with these picks in fab leagues that we're hoping will stick are even in the 28th round here, Brandon fought and Andrew painter went back to back. Mm -hmm. Those are the plays, I think. And because we can always find a Matt Brash, unless he ends up starting again. That may be the hope, the pick here, is he makes his way back into the rotation. But guys like that are available all year long.
1: Yeah, I agree. I was just gonna say, these aren't the, I love these guys. I love all yeah. these players and I want them on a bunch of teams. They're not guys I'm gonna be drafting in a 12-teamer no matter what I fill up
2: my DC teams with these guys. Oh, so. sure.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. This The upside in this format is not as high as you want it to be. We'll pick all of these guys up at one point during the year because they will all be available, yep. as you said. Maybe not how because he just has his aura to him. People are gonna want to hold on to him and but Brian Abreu is going in like the 700s I think or 600s in draft in DC drafts so he's going to like the Brian Abreu types are going to be available. It, I also picked these guys because I thought it was interesting because none of them are going to close either. That's right, the other. Right that's the spec play You, Brian make on Abreu, Adi-Guide.
2: is so talented and has such strikeout potential yes. that he could be. I could draft him as a spec closer. Absolutely. We've seen. Oh my goodness, Presley, <laughs> I drew a blank there for a second. We've seen Bre- Presley miss time. We've seen him. Look, not quite himself at times as well. So, a guy like Abreu, I I could draft, but I think I'd rather go the starter route if they're both available.
1: Yeah. All right. Last pairing here, back to the offense. To to I think Resturros is still prospect or still rookie eligible. So we'll just say that there are two rookies here. Oscar Cole of the White Sox expected. To be the starting right fielder for the White Sox, even with the addition of Andrew Benint playing left field and Andrew Vaughn moving over to first base and the loss of Jose Abreu and then Estrella Ruiz being treated. And I believe that this draft concluded after that trade had gone down, hence why Ruiz was up being drafted here for the stolen bases and the playing time in Oakland. I could be wrong. That timing, I might be off on that timing, but either way. Obviously, Ruiz was being drafted for the stolen base potential, whether he was in Milwaukee or Oakland or literally anywhere else. Um, But knowing what we know now, we're gonna. I'm going to go ahead and assume both. Colas and Ruiz are starting on the opening day roster in a starting role, whether it's Ruiz in center field for Oakland or maybe even second base, Oscar Colas in right field for the White Sox. is the, this, We talked about ru- the potential of Ruiz stealing 40 bases, especially in Oakland, a very aggressive team. At least they have been in the, la- in the recent past. But Colas being in the lineup on a winning ball club, which one of these is, in your opinion, the better upside play? It
2: depends what you're looking for. I'm still not so sure about Colas being an everyday player or even maybe close to it to start the season. It's really interesting to me what they have going on in Chicago. But at the same time, I don't think they're going to run Gavin Sheets out there in right field every game either. So I, I still have questions. In general, I if I was more confident he was going to play every day, I'd much rather have the guy playing in the Chicago White Sox lineup. And the only way that would be trumped is if I am specifically really behind on stolen bases, and Ruiz is still there. I think that's the only reason I'm drafting him. I don't think he'll probably he's definitely going to be at the bottom of the order, so his plate appearances will be on the lower end so that any hit and batting average won't hit us too much. It completely depends on the rest of the team I have drafted. If I need stolen bases, it's 100% Ruiz here.
1: Yeah, you got to assume Ruiz is 100% stolen base play. If you look at the steamer 600, which are always fun to look at, because if yeah. you don't know somebody's role, at least you get a sense of what their talent level would be if they got had everyday playing time oh, yeah. toward the in this top half of a lineup. Ruiz is stealing 46 bases, but he's hitting three home runs <laughs> They're And both of these guys are going to be in the 70 to 60 RBI run area on their respective teams. But Kulas, his talent level is gonna bring him bring you twenty six, at least according to this projection, twenty-six home runs and a couple more counting stats on top of that, based solely on the fact that he's with the White Sox and that's what he brings to the table compared to Ruiz. So it is definitely a speed play versus an everything besides speed play between these two guys. I think that I probably at this stage in the offseason. Ruiz is probably the play I'm going to make here only because in a 12-teamer I'm going for that upside in one particular category and if it turns out early in the season he's I'm gonna feel a lot more comfortable dropping Ruiz if he's just not doing anything for me with Oakland than I am with Colas who I expect him to have an everyday role in the right field for the White Sox and I don't think I think if they do have him come up for opening day He's not somebody that I see them dropping down back to the minor or to the minors very readily. In my opinion, I think that he's somebody who if they're going to start his clock, he, they're going to, they're going to keep him going.
2: Yeah. It's interesting. Roster resource still has Kola starting in AAA, and we've talked to Jason and he puts a lot of time into this on a daily basis. So I put a lot of stock into what he has here. Now it's not set in stone either, and we talked to Dave McDonald last off season, and he said he pays less attention to it in the off season. And I go along with that as well. I think in the off season, if we're digging in on players, we're finding all the same information that Jason's taken into account, so we can form our own opinions as well. But it is interesting that right now he has him starting out in AAA.
1: Sure. And then the other flip side of that we talk about this in season as well. Like you can stream any position you can stream any category, including stolen bases. And I would not have a problem, especially as I said, I'm going to have more hitters on my bench and on a normal basis than pitchers, holding on to an SRA Ruiz as a stolen base streamer, even in a 12 teamer and playing those matchups on a half, half week period, hoping to spike one or two stolen bases on a weekend or something like that. And then not feeling bad putting him back on my bench. I also expect Ruiz to gain eligibility playing both second base, outfield. I, mean, I can check what he has right now. He only has outfield eligibility going into the season. So I wouldn't be surprised if he gains that second base eligibility with Oakland where he switches time with Tony Camp or pretty much anybody else.
2: Yeah, another thing is I like the idea of a young player, the new stolen base rules that's already been playing under the new stolen base rules. He's got this figured out. That's how he stole 85 bases or whatever it was over his three (laughs) levels last season. He's got this figured out. Now, Major League veterans are going to figure it out as well, but it is something new, and there will be an adjustment period. He's already got it down.
1: Yeah, that's a good point. All right, this is a couple of really good pairings of picks that were picked in the last two rounds of our first two Listener League drafts, Kevin. And I think there's a lot of strategy involved, whether they're darts. <laughs> or whether there are ways in which you build your bench to complement your starting lineup. It's interesting to see the directions that everybody's going, especially in these early's. And we'll probably have a very similar episode in March when we compare those later drafts and how those benches were built in comparison to these early ones. And whether or not that was on our docket or not, I think it is now. Sounds perfect. What do you got for us to close this out here as far as any additional tidbits of information or advice you might have for everybody as as they're winding down the episode?
2: I've really been digging into this chasing wins and I'm coming to the conclusion we need to do that with our starting pitchers. As much as we talk about these middle relievers or even set up guys that we were just talking about them. And there's a lot of them and we love them. They're great for our ratios. They can vulture a save. They can vulture a win. They can get us some strikeouts. They're widely available. Even if it's not out top choice, someone similar is available. They're great. We love them. It's not where we can chase our wins though and count on them. From what I've been looking at, there were 115 pitchers, in 2022 that weren't starters may have had a starter too, but not starters who had at least four wins. Okay. That's not enough to be counting on them for a win. That's every month and a half. And to get all four of them, they're going to have to be in your lineup 27 weeks, (laughs) unless you are extremely lucky or figure out we can play percentages a little bit, seven game weeks, that type of thing. There were only 33 relievers with at least six wins. We're still at only one a month, okay? We go up to seven wins on the season. There were 14 players. And four of these guys were mainly closer, getting coming in a tie ball game. Or blowing the save and having their team bail them out. And a couple of them weren't closers the entire season. So they got wins before they took over that role. Ryan Helsley, Clay Holmes. Facing wins with relievers, I don't think it's a viable strategy. It's great when they get one for us, but it's not something we can count on or plan for yes matchups yes schedule yes they didn't pitch Saturday or Sunday hopefully that means we're going to see them three times this seven game week coming up that does help but I don't see a trend even looking at teams other than possibly Toronto because Adam Simber had 10 wins and Tim Miza had eight but other than looking at that and then going and diving into those particular games, which I have not done yet to see if there's a pattern here, I don't see any way to count on our wins that we are chasing from relievers. I think we need to draft better starting pitching and stream hitters do it the opposite that we've been doing in the past.
1: All right. I think that's all great. Always something that We've been talking about a, chasing wins has been something we talk about a lot more. And we always reference it. Rob Silver talking about it at first pitch, Arizona. And we've been talking a lot more like you have to chase. And Kevin, you've been saying it for years. It's like on this podcast. <laughs> like You chase wins. You don't chase wins until you have to. Or yeah. you, you, we know, can't. you we've been told we can't
2: chase wins, but we do right. have to. Yeah, And it's it's crazy. I think I might. I have. I opened my Twitter account like many years ago and then didn't ever use it until it came to fantasy baseball. So I have never (laughs) changed my Twitter handle. I think I may change it to chasing
1: wins. If it's There there you go. Nice. All right, that's going to do it for episode 94 of On The Wire. We're continuing to push through the offseason, so make sure you're subscribing, you're sharing, reviewing the podcast wherever you're listening. You can follow myself on the Twitter at 80grade. That's all spelled out. Kevin is still at Hastings. Kevin for now, so make sure you're following him as well. And the pod is at On The Wire pod. Once again, after all that, I am Adam Howe, and on behalf of Kevin Hasting, thanks for listening. We bid you goodbye.